Welcome back, everyone. This is The Change Log, and I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This is episode 134. Jared and I talked to the core team behind .NET Core. That's Microsoft.NET Core Effects. Can't believe it. We had Microsoft on here talking about open source of all things. We were surprised, too. Definitely a great show. We had Rich Lander, Emil Landworth, and Varun Gupta on the show. Great, great conversation about Microsoft and open source and lots and lots of fun. We had some awesome sponsors for this show. CodeShip, TopTal, and Rackspace helping us make this show possible. We'll talk about TopTal and Rackspace a bit later on the show, but our friends at CodeShip always amaze us. Continuous integration and delivery as a service. You can release more frequently, get faster feedback, and build the product your users actually need. A simple push to a repo runs your automated test suite and configure deployments. From a simple deployment to Heroku to a complex deployment pipeline set up for large infrastructures, all that can be set up with ease using CodeShip. It integrates easily with GitHub or Bitbucket. You can get started today with their free plan. Setup takes just three minutes. Make sure you use the code the Changelog Podcast. Again, the Changelog Podcast. And with that code, you'll get a 20% discount for three months on any plan you choose. Head to codeship.io slash the changelog and tell them we sent you. And now on to the show. everybody we're joined back today we got a fun show lined up today um we got myself here got jared here we got rich lander we got emo landworth we've got varun gupta uh those guys are from the net core team over there at microsoft and i tell you this is this is maybe an unprecedented day for us because in the history of this show we've only had one show on net and that was on nuget um we didn't expect to ever have anyone from microsoft on the show talking about net being open source so i guess that's uh, hands in the air on that one, but um, let's let's go around the table here real quick and give some intros. So, let, Rich, let's start with you, Mo, and then Varun. Uh, after that, in no particular order. Sure, um, I'm Rich Lander, as uh, Jared said, and or sorry, Adam, um, and uh, I've been at uh, Microsoft since 2000. I've been on the .NET team since uh, 2003, and I've shipped each version of .NET since 20. It's uh, been really interesting being on the team and building all the technology that we've been shipping to customers that whole time. But uh, this last little bit where we've been uh, getting our open source project ready has been definitely the most exciting time in that that whole period. All right. And we got uh, Emo. Yeah. So I joined Microsoft in 2010 and uh, I was a customer for a very long time. I was basically on the first on the first betas basically since 2002, I believe. And uh, so when I joined the uh, the team, I had a very much a you know focus on .NET from a customer perspective. And I'm super excited to see some of the things happening that we did over the last two years, in particular, releasing more stuff on Nuget as well as our open source that we're doing now. So it's really great times for me as well. Gotcha. All right, Varun, how about you? Uh, hey guys. I've been in Microsoft for about the last 10 years, mostly around .NET. Um, uh, I'm part of the .NET team, which is doing the open source work around .NET Core. Interestingly, I'm also part of the team that's helping set up .NET Foundation. So it's very exciting for me from both fronts. Uh, you know, seeing back last 10 years, definitely very exciting and a new path. 
Um, but it's, you know, something we're all really excited about. So Jared, I guess I'll open this, uh, this show up with probably the most important question we have here. And to you guys too, I mean, congrats on taking this shift towards open source. I think you'll probably see, and you probably have seen already the, the benefits of, of just the open source community interacting with, you know, a wider developer base, maybe than you're typically used to with feedback and issues and GitHub and pull requests and all this, you know, collaboration that goes into building open source software these days. So let's, let's maybe ask the the biggest question here, which is why open source and maybe even a tail off question, which is why now? Uh, I would all answer the first question. Uh, I think this the, is rich, the, right? Yeah, sorry. This is rich. Okay. Uh, I think the big, um, key motivation behind um, why open source is that um, we want to just reach developers who um, we, we can't typically reach with a, a pure kind of closed source uh, offering. And um, there are plenty of folks out there that uh, open source is a key requirement and uh, we want to make them uh, our customers as well. Um, so that, that's really, that's really the big piece. Do you want to, Tackle the second one, email. Why so, now? Yeah. So the so the why now question is interesting. So like uh, in the blog post that we published uh, two weeks ago, we basically uh, sketched open source as effectively two pieces. The first piece is uh, cross plat, which is uh, if you think of uh, any sort of serious cross plat projects, and they all have one thing in common, and they're open source. And it's not that open source is the only way to do cross plat work, but it's uh, probably the most um, sustainable way of doing it because you can very easily incorporate other people that, that care about certain things that you either can't repro yet or you, you just don't care about this yet. So a good example is if you look at Linux, for example, when, when Linus Torvalds started this whole project, he still didn't care about 160 architectures uh, for him to target, right? But it, over the years, certain people jumped in that cared about certain architectures and then, you know, the breadth of the project significantly increased over time, right? And that's that's why cross-plat, I think, with, uh, if you look at uh, .NET, the mono community is a very strong um, force there, so it would be very, very you know idiotic from our side if you wouldn't um, uh, you know incorporate those communities and, and make it easier for them to work with us. The second part of it is uh, if you look back there, for the last two years, we're basically doing more and more agile delivery, and uh, from from our point of view, agile delivery is really the key of uh, you know making sure that the right things happening. Uh, in, a, in a reasonable amount of time, because it, it, the more complicated the project is and the more design upfront you perform, the higher the chances are you get something wrong at some point, right? And our project is now, you know, almost 15 years old, if you consider the initial work time before it went published. Uh, uh, public. So there's a lot of complexity in the product itself. So by us being able to deliver things in an agile fashion, that also means we get customer feedback way quicker. Uh, we also have happier customers because when you file a bug, you, you live long enough to actually see the bug being fixed as well. So if you consider this, you know, in the previous time, we had like three years release uh, cycles. Uh, it was often very frustrating for customers. And as I said, I was a customer for a very, for a very long time. So I filed a bug in 2004 that got uh, closed as uh, won't fixed in like 2009 or something. So I can totally relate to this uh, um, problem that you just, you know, don't get feedback from Microsoft. So Azure really gives us this way of doing it, and we ship uh, packages on UBED for over two years now on our team. And and from from our point of view, open source is really just the ultimate version of, of being agile, right? Because you're essentially every time you commit something, it's immediately live, and in theory, it's consumable, uh, modular any bugs. So we, we get feedback pretty much in real time. So instead of having a customer discussion every two years and we ship the beta, 
we can actually have a discussion with the customer in real time. And that's why open source now makes a lot more sense than it did, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Seems like quite a sea change from, you know, Microsoft's previous stance. Um, as you guys said in your blog post, it was, you know, kind of you, you open source to universal acclaim, trending on GitHub. Anything Microsoft does makes a big splash. But I'm interested in how this change came about inside of the company because uh, it seems like such a change in strategy that usually those things have to be sold up a chain. Um, whose idea was it and how long has it been like you guys trying to convince people or are you the ultimate decision makers? It's clearly all Emo's idea. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Good one, Rich. Yeah, so I think on our side, we're all wearing t-shirts right now that, that basically say open source was my idea. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think that you said like it's a, it's a strategy change. I would agree that it's a strategy change, but I don't think it should be, you know, a massive surprise. I mean, if you, if you look over the, over the last, I don't know, probably longer years, I mean, .NET open source is not the, you know, the first open source project that Microsoft did, right? The very first open source project was the Windows installer XML, and that's now you know, a fairly long time ago. ASP.NET uh, is open source for quite a long time now, and uh, the managed C-sharp and VB compilers was in open source six months ago. So there's, there's clearly a progression where Microsoft became, um, I think, better at realizing what open source actually means, right? I mean, there's like, you know, these bad quotes from Balmer like 10 years ago or something about GPL, but... If you, if you realize like how we run with open source now, I think uh, it's clear that it's not a shift that happened overnight. Um, you know, Anders Halsberg, for example, the, the chief designer of C Sharp, he had a lot of experience with open sourcing uh, as part of the TypeScript initiative that was open source from the first day. And he really absolutely liked the experience that, that open source design in the open, interacting with people in real time was bringing because you could reach developers that we just could never reach before. Right? It's really about the, the conversation and, and the... You know, it, you know, the sheer innovation speed at which you can take the feedback and make something out of it. Um, and I think in general, like if you look at Microsoft around, I mean, uh, you know, Walmart had this uh, vision statement of devices and services, for example. And especially when you look at services and we are in the same work that, that, that delivers uh, Azure as well. So there's this uh, and TFS and both are services now. And so they're both on a very aggressive uh, timeline as far as you know, releasing uh, you know, small increments of, uh, of functionality and then getting customer feedback on it. And, and from our point of view, the developer stack is uh, uh, something that you really have to give in people's hands very early on in order to get meaningful feedback. But we can't just ship faster, you know, the framework itself on Windows because that just doesn't scale to 1.8 billion machines. You really have to have a way where we can give it to developers faster. And so from that point of view, I think that, that open source is also just the continuation of, you know, DevOps or some of the other, you know, keywords that you have probably heard. So you mentioned Balmer, and as we all know, you guys have had a change in leadership here recently. Uh, is the timing there uh, coincidental, uh, or was that change in leadership kind of leading to this, this, uh, this new stuff? The, uh, this is Rich again. Um, I do not think it was coincidental. Uh, if we look at the fact that um, .NET supporting Linux and Office supporting iOS happened in the same year, um, I think uh, that's clearly showing that we're trying to reach out to... Um, uh, you know, to, to our customers and provide products on the OSs where that, that they're using. So uh, I, I think you're just seeing a shift in strategy at a fairly broad um, level in Microsoft. I have to give you guys credit too, because when you're embracing it, you guys really are embracing open source um, on GitHub. 
uh, MIT licensed stuff, taking pull requests. You know, I always compare Apple and Microsoft when I'm looking at strategies because I just enjoy watching you guys do things. Apple's still kind of just like throwing their open source over the wall and just like, <laughs> here you go. You know, it's, they're not really embracing it as a thing as much, but you guys seem like you're really going for it. Yeah, I think that's something that we that we learned over the years. Is I mean, my team in particular, we did open source, or should say, source open for a lot longer than uh, than just the you know the, the current open source strategy. Like there was the managed sensibility framework that we published on CodeFlex a while ago. But the the challenge that we always had that we basically did, did you know source open, where we basically give you the source, but then there is a lot of challenges around us keeping the community around alive because it's not really the real thing. Right, we give you like every once in a while a drop of the source. And so the one thing that we learned over the years is that, first of all, that's just not sustainable from our side. Because if you think of Microsoft as a company that delivers um, uh, you know, a bunch of products, then you always have these massive release cadences where you know, towards the end game, you are focusing on fixing bugs, stabilization, all of that. And then the first thing that you stop doing is you know, things that don't directly contribute value towards that goal. And so from our point of view, like maintaining an open source site somewhere as a as a side project, it's just not maintainable. It's the first thing that gets that gets cut when, when, when you know people have to focus. So the only way you can sustain open source is if if what you see on GitHub is the real deal, because that's something we can't cut, right? Like when we stabilize, then you know, and we have to commit to the same repository everybody sees, then there's really no option for us uh, to discontinue that work. And I think that's also something that the community really appreciates, because I think in open source in general, and, in, and I think that's true in any community. It's definitely true in marriages, right? That, that you, people don't want to get surprised, right? You, you basically want to have a, a trusted relationship with each other. So if, if you get the impression that Microsoft is holding something back because we go dark for half a year, mm-hmm. uh, even if we don't do anything bad, it still has this very bad taste of us not telling you everything. Right? I think that's something that I think we learned very, you know, the hard way over the years. And uh, But I totally agree with your sentiment that, you know, I was a customer for a long time. I bitched about Microsoft like everybody else. And, uh, one thing I realized internally is that, you know, things, if they change, they, they really change. I mean, people really embrace it and then go wholeheartedly with that vision. And that's why I'm so excited about open source, because I think, you know, we, we no longer have like any way to, to back off from that. Right? Now we, we are all in and I think that this, this trend will continue. I like the term all in too, especially for you, because like you said, when you make a turn or you make a change, it tends to be pretty drastic or, you know, it's not an easy shift. You sort of make quick decisions when it comes to, to, to big turns like that. One thing you said that I'd like to camp out on for just a second was the flip side of open source. I never really thought about, and maybe this is a new term to me or just a new term in general, but source open versus open source being pretty much the exact opposite where open source is focused on, uh, like Jared said, not pulling an apple where you're just throwing the code over the, over the wall and hoping for the best and not really embracing the community. And we're, can you talk a little bit about that shift, particularly with source open versus open source? And maybe, I guess maybe you've already done that to a degree, but feel free to, to ramble on source open versus open source for a bit. Do you have any thoughts on that, Varun? Yeah, I think we had our reference sources up there for a while. They were under the reference source license, um, but it was you know basically one way. So what we... This time it's very different. We have the sources up there and there's a lot of activity and we are basically two-way. It's basically the real way. I mean, what you were referring with Apple is probably what we were doing earlier. But the current effort is really about getting our stuff open source in a meaningful way. Um, and as you know, your question earlier, the 
mood in the Darknet team and, you know, how we're looking at it. You know, I, I would actually put it this way. There's a lot of excitement within the team and that's reflecting on the repo. Uh, basically, every day we have, you know, stand-ups and hallway meetings and stuff like that and chats. Uh, and everyone is super excited. Like, we are talking about, you know, what's the next pull request coming in and we're discussing about those and having a good time about it. And I think all of that is kind of reflecting on, you know, GitHub, the, all the energy in the team. The team in general is very excited about it, excited about the open source aspect. What, um, when you say team, Varun, um, beyond you, Rich, and Emo, um, who is who is the .NET team? You know, how, how big is that? I mean, obviously it's probably large, but, you know, how, give the audience a, an example of how big your team is and the excitement size. Well, I'll just cover the team size. We have a lot of people working on like on <laughs> .NET in general um, in the division. So we're in developer division. And so we have a ton of people working on, you know, Visual Studio, on .NET Framework, on compilers. But I think your question is more maybe the size of the team that is working on .NET Core itself. That's certainly, well, with the, the team that released the framework libraries that you saw, there's tens of people that are working on that. And then the runtime will come later. There's some other set of tens of people working on that. Uh, so all told, I think you're probably looking at about 100 people working on uh, the code base that's going to ship in, um, that's going to be available on GitHub. That's actually a lot of investment. If you're wanting to, you know, make a bet on .NET, um, you can see that there's a lot of people working at Microsoft to provide you with a quality code base. So let's talk about exactly which pieces of code are out there right now because, let's face it, you all have a lot of software over there. And there's distinctions between .NET Core, .NET Framework, Entity Framework, so on and so forth. If you go to your guys' Microsoft's GitHub page, which I think is just microsoft.github.io, um, tons of repos. Kind of highlight the big ones and kind of show us, uh, tell us maybe what's not there yet. Yeah, so basically, if you look at .NET Core, what you see today on GitHub is a very small number of libraries. We have immutable collections, we have uh, the metadata reader that Rosten is using, we have XML, and we have our vector library that uh, enables SIMD intrinsics. And, you know, the question is, why did we pick these four and not some other random slice? And the, 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 the reason is, as I said earlier, like from Forest, number one priority is to make open source real is that the thing that you see on the website is the thing that we can actually build uh, ourselves and actually, you know, use the, you know, the actual source to, to deliver the, the actual product. And so there's some engineering initiative that we have to do internally to decouple our, our built infrastructure from, from the libraries themselves. And as you can imagine, like DevDiv is super large and we have, you know, tens, 10 years of like, you know, code base uh, and built infrastructure that we have to decouple in order to make that work. So the, these four libraries that are out, out there on GitHub right now and .NET Core are essentially just you know the libraries they you know we could easily extract because they are the you know the most recent ones we did. Um, XML is certainly not the most recent one, but it was you know one of our, our few libraries that we could just say okay this is the one we can decouple very quickly. And so what you will see over over time is that um, the entire .NET Core stack, which basically includes the runtime, includes the BCL layer, includes networking, uh, and uh, also includes HP.NET on top of, uh, as the app model will be open sourced. And so as right now, as I said, there's a smaller segment in it. So you can basically watch us as we add more libraries. And I think, you know, over the next couple of weeks, there's like, I think three or four libraries being scheduled for being added. Uh, console is being one of them. Data flow is another. And so that, you know, there's certainly more growth. 
if you look at the other repos, as I said, like yeah, if you look at .NET Core, it's you know one way to think about the core of X repo is it's essentially the BCL, and so the BCL is basically the the, the libraries that everybody has to use, right? And then you have ASP.NET, which is uh, essentially the um, the modern web uh, framework that's just on top of .NET Core, as well as the full framework as a as a runtime option. And then you have Entity Framework, and you have uh, the you know the Roslyn compilers, which are not on GitHub yet; they're on Codeplex still. And so the, uh, all these things in combination are effectively the, the .NET platform. And um, ASP.NET, basically, when they started developing uh, ASP.NET 5, they already knew that they would go open source entirely. So they started pretty much uh, in, you know, working on GitHub from day one. Versus on our side, as I said, we, you know, .NET Core is still something that, that is in our internal service, and we are extracting it as we go. And so um, I think that should cover what's on GitHub. Now, as far as the .NET framework goes... We essentially have two stacks, and right now, if you go to the .NET uh, blog, I just published a blog post about .NET Core and how it relates to the full framework. So you can think of .NET essentially on our side as being two stacks. One of them is the is the .NET framework, which is the you know you know full flavored stack that we shipped you know 15 years ago, uh, and uh, that is the one that actually includes you know desktop scenarios, it includes web scenarios, it includes uh, pretty much every scenario the developer ever wanted. And then on the other side, you have .NET Core, which is which is essentially a fork. And so the question is, why do we have a fork? And the, 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 the reason really is, it has to do with our ability to evolve that stack. So that in core is essentially a stack where factoring concerns and modularity was a key concern from day one. Versus .NET Framework was never a concern as far as deployment goes, because you know, the .NET Framework was designed to be deployed with Windows as one monolithic entity. So factoring was never really a concern. But now, when you think about the you know the breadth of devices and uh, the, the scale that it has to um, um, has to do, then the question really becomes: How do we ensure that we have the same architecture and can evolve this thing over the time? And so, when we did .NET Core, we really focused on that, and that's why we have two stacks today. And uh, as far as open source goes, one of the one of the key things that, that that we need to focus on is being able to not just release source on a on a regular cadence, but also take contributions back. And I think an open source project isn't really an open source project unless you can really involve the community, which obviously involves you know bug fixes and spec reviews, but it also involves actually taking code. And so the .NET framework, because it ships with Windows, it's you know pushed out by Windows Update. There's a super high compat bar for that. And the problem is once you ship on 1.8 billion machines, it's really no longer about whether you fulfill your contract. It's also about the fact that do you fulfill the implied contract? Because when you have apps running in that you know at that you know, sheer size, then there's a lot of like implicit dependencies. So even for us, it's very hard to evolve the full framework at this point because every time we make a change, there's this trade-off between, oh, did this break somebody or not? And the .NET Core stack is completely designed to be app local. So for, from our point of view, it's very easy to actually take contributions on, uh, on .NET Core because it's very easy to reason about what happens if we take that source code. And so that's why uh, .NET Framework, um, you know, we released parts of it that corresponds to our .NET core stack as open source on GitHub in the sense that it's an open source compliant license, so it's all using the, the MIT license, but we don't run it as an open source project, so we don't take contributions back on the full framework stack. Uh, from our point of view, the, the, the real open source strategy is from .NET Core, and that's where the focus of attention is. All right, let's pause the show just a minute, give a shout out to a sponsor. I want to thank TopTop for their support of this show. You know, besides my personal experience with TopTop Pure Charity, uh, as many of you know, who've been listening to the show a while and those who are new, uh, I work at a nonprofit called Pure Charity. And earlier this year, we had a huge need for uh, several Ruby developers. 
And within a matter of weeks, Topta helped us find some of the best, and we still have them on our team, some of the best Ruby on Rails developers we could ever find. This show in particular, we're talking about .NET. We're talking to the team at Microsoft behind .NET Core Effects being open source and what they're doing with the .NET framework. Um, but even you as a, as a .NET developer or someone out there who's trying to hire a .NET developer uh, to join their team, go to TopTop.com. They'll take great care of you. You can freelance as a .NET developer. You can hire .NET developers. The full gamut, TopTop.com. Tell them the changelog sent you. So .NET Core, you said the, the term BCI, I translated as as base class license. Or sorry, um, base class library. My bad. I was... Uh, Stuck on your word of license back there for a second, but am I right to assume that when you say base class yes, that's library? Correct. Okay, so you use the term BCL there to talk about .NET Core, um, it, and you use the word forked too. So to slow down a bit for the listeners who are like just probably like I am, like asking a bunch of questions as they're listening to you, Varu, um, is is .NET Core then a fork of of the framework then, and will there be? Will there be a second version of the framework that's sort of open source and the .NET framework that's sort of proprietary and closed source that you control? That's that's kind of the model, except that, uh, you know, as I said, the .NET framework is super large, but right? it also has clienting origins like WinForms and WPF on top. But it, like, there's certainly also the BCL port in the full framework as well. And so when we, when I said fork, I mean, you can think of it, we took the source that is in the full framework and just packaged it slightly differently for .NET Core. And so one thing we did, for example, is uh, changing the assemblies themselves or the you know the physical files that actually contain the, the binary code. And that is basically done in order to support the new factoring goals. And that required some changes to the source. So uh, from that point of view, there are some differences in the, in the API sets. But we, we still are fully committed on keeping a story where you can basically create libraries that run on either side. So you can only create a library that runs on full framework as well as .NET Core. So there is a compatibility story between the two stacks. But as far as evolution goes, you can think of it as similar to the, you know, to open source in general, where you basically have, uh, you know, the, the latest hot stuff is, you know, whatever the latest commit in the repo is, people can download this, build it locally and run it. And the next step on our side is we release open source uh, pre-packaged as a bunch of NuGet packages. And so we ship these packages every once in a while when the team that owns the particular component, you know, tests that component and signs off of that. But that's a, you know, per-component thing. And then the next step is basically we, we take a bunch of NuGet packages and effectively do the same thing that open sources with distributions. And we basically take a whole bunch of packages together and say this is the next version of .NET Core. And so a fourth step conceptually is, is porting these, uh, you know, this, you know, the, the, the innovation that happened on .NET Core back to the full framework. Mm. And that is like just from a machine engineering if, you know, effort that is always somewhat lagging behind because, as I said, touching full framework is hard. We, we, we take our responsibility on compatibility extremely seriously so we don't just roll the latest build out. And so that, that requires some, some, some delay essentially. And so from that point of view, the, the core pieces of it are available as open source on the, on the full framework, but not everything is. Do you have that written down somewhere? Because uh, my head's spinning a little bit. And it sounds like a lot of process. Maybe your direct customers probably followed that a little better than I did, but it seems like um, perhaps some clarity on exactly how it all works. Do you guys have that documented anywhere? Or somebody who wanted to get involved could go and say, okay, here's how, here's what I can contribute with, with. here's the stuff I can't, here's how it all gets shipped. Is that anywhere? Yeah, so as I said, like there's basically two blog posts on our side that basically summarize them up. The, 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 there's one on .NET Core open source, which is uh, about two weeks old, 
And then just today I published a blog post on what is .NET Core and how it relates to the full framework. Um, and, you know, what are, the, what are the differences between the two and how do we think about that? Gotcha. Awesome. Now, while I'm sitting here, you said the word forked, and this might be a fun tangent. Um, you guys got some forks out here on your guys' Microsoft page. You, you forked Redis, you forked Node, you forked Docker. Uh, safe to assume that you guys are building technologies on top of these open source projects uh, in-house? Uh, well, this is Rich again. There's probably a little bit of clarification that would be useful here. Okay. Uh, so there's actually two GitHub, well, actually there's multiple GitHub orgs okay. um, that we're using. Microsoft, the Microsoft org is the main GitHub organization that Microsoft is using, um, as you might guess. And so mm-hmm. there's teams that we're like we don't even know anything about necessarily <laughs> okay. that operate in that org. And so you said, you know, someone forked Redis. Um, we actually have no clue um, <laughs> about that? that. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously we could find out kind of thing. But sure. um, we have like zero insight into that. I'm seeing now at the bottom of that page, there's other high Microsoft GitHub orgs, and you guys have, man, double digits. Yeah, least, we actually so. have like 20 or 30 or 40 orgs. We're actually trying to move more people over to the Microsoft org to make it a little bit easier to to navigate. Mm-hmm. But um, the thing um, is, our work is actually in the .NET org. Gotcha. Yeah, that's where .NET Core lives. Uh, actually, Varun can speak to, to this piece, what the .NET org is and why um, .NET Core is in there. Right. So basically, .NET repo is actually the repo for .NET Foundation, the open source effort, mm-hmm. um, you know, the open source community effort around .NET in general with the community. So .NET Core became open source. It joined the community as well. .NET Foundation community. So they were setting up a new repo. Um, so basically, uh, you know, we had a lively discussion and they actually set it up the repo directly in the foundation. So that org, uh, you know, the GitHub, you know, organization is .NET Foundation organization and .NET Core has joined uh, the organization and is basically doing all the open source work in the open. And, you know, Rich can talk about how Mono is also in there, um, you know, basically actively participating in the discussions and the efforts. Yeah, what Vroom was mentioning is there, we have a .NET Foundation.org website, and there's some forums on that at forums.netfoundation.org. And for those of you um, who know about .NET Open Source, you'll probably know about the Mono Project. And so we're very much um, collaborating with that project, both in a code sense, as well as um, collaborating together and talking together in these forums. Uh, and if you take a look at the forums, you'll probably get a sense of that. Okay, and for those who are unaware, can you uh, give a brief rundown of Mono? Sure. Mono is essentially um, a clone of... Um, the .NET that um, Microsoft built. It's, it's a, I don't know the exact date of its inception, but um, it's in the early 2000s for sure. And uh, it's headed by a guy named uh, Miguel de, de Casa, who actually had worked on some other open source projects. I think he'd worked on the GNOME uh, window manager, <laughs> if I'm correct on that point. And um, anyway, it's, it's a project that... Uh, 
a lot of people have used. Um, more recently, it's actually been used to target iOS and Android as part of the uh, a tool set built by Xamarin, who Miguel actually works for. He's actually a founder of that company. And um, the thing I think is really interesting right now is Microsoft, like the .NET team at Microsoft and the Mono Project are now working closely together to um, kind of deliver coherent and consistent .NET implementations for all um, .NET users on the planet, essentially. And uh, we didn't quite have that kind of an arrangement before. So uh, I think it's really, really positive. And uh, you'll see that. I think you'll really see that come together probably next year. Right now, we're just kind of trying to get everything laid out. You know, this news of us open sourcing is also new to Miguel. So I think by the time we get, say, to, you know, the middle of next year, I think we'll have a much more, a much better sense of what it is that the two projects are doing together. We're very much, you know, still trying to figure that out. That's awesome. I mean, I think the cross-platform aspect of this is going to be a huge win for, de- for developers everywhere. I fact-checked your, uh, your, your gnome there and you drilled it. Uh, okay, <laughs> awesome. So just uh, while you're talking there, I was like, I looked it up. Yeah, yeah I do. Out. I mean, we, we know Miguel personally. So, uh, but I just wanted to yeah, make sure that was correct. Can we uh, maybe camp out there for just a sec on the on the cross-platform thing and maybe just the, the fork thing and the open source thing? I think it's sort of the, the summary of what we've been talking about for the last 20, 30 minutes. But, um, you know, what's the true goal here? You know, Varun, you mentioned earlier uh, cross-platform is a, is a nice advantage of, of going open source. Um, it mentioned embracing the community, embracing actually open source versus source open. What's the, what do you think, what can you share about the true goal, the overall goal of open sourcing .NET core versus keeping it closed source and not embracing community? So I think you meant me, not Varun, but that's okay. Um, oh. So I think from the, the other Varun, the other, <laughs> um, maybe a voice sounds so similar. Was it, was it Emo? Yeah. Oh, sorry. So My bad. The, Emo, you take it. Those, I think the, one of the one of the challenges is, as I said, is that you know Microsoft is, as, as Rich mentioned, now certainly going you know, out of more devices. I think the the general realization that everybody in the industry is now uh, making is that you know there's no longer like true monocultures. Right? There, there, there there's many like you know device ranges, and like they all have certain market segments. But in order to to be successful uh, as far as an application experience goes. Those span devices now, right? Like you can, even if you're say, even if Microsoft would say we want to focus on Windows, the the, the reality is there's so many other devices and experiences out there that you kind of have to integrate into. That's expected from an app standpoint. That that basically requires you to to support not just one thing. You can still say as a, as an application developer, you know, I I provide you know the best experience or you know most of my features in a certain in a certain vertical, but you know the integration points are the ones that that you still have to you know deal with somehow. And uh, .NET was pretty much from the get-go designed to become, to to have a single experience on a variety of scenarios. So if you look at the original design of WinForms and WebForms, for example, somebody really made sure that they are pretty much the same. Now, I would argue that for web, that was a mistake because it's not an event-based paradigm. But, the, you know, in the spirit of, of making things similar, I think that, that it's still very much uh, an important scenario for, for, for many people. Because if you think from a just from an, epic, from an architectural layering perspective, there's always pieces of your code that you want to reuse across the devices, right? Some business logic, you know, some you know, some logic that does something in your app, and and the, you know, from a from a scenario standpoint, 
.NET wants to enable those scenarios, and that that has to uh, that certainly means that we have to go effectively where the app has to go. And to, in today's world, as I said, like there's Mac, there's iOS, there's Android, there's there's Linux, and so we we have to enable the stack to go there. And from that from that point of view, I think that uh, open source is really about increasing the breadth of .NET uh, and making it easier for people to just stick to one technology if they if they chose to do that. But you know, but that always had great interoperability with native code. So if you want to do something else, uh, you know, providing a native UI, for example, uh, and then you know, call into .NET or the other way around, there's certainly stories for that as well. So when we talk about cross-platform, I just one question here for the listeners who are thinking like, okay, so what does this thing work on? What can I, if I'm hacking today, could I pull it down, start working on it today? What platforms are currently supported by .NET, .NET Core, .NET Font? Uh, Framework. 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 That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, the other F word. The good F word. Uh, I could take that one. This is Rich. Um, right now, both .NET Core and .NET Framework support only Windows. So just to back up a little bit, we've, we've clearly stated that um, for .NET Core, we're going to um, uh, support it on Mac and Linux as well. And so we kind of had a decision to make, which was, should we wait until we've done all the engineering work, at which point we support Linux and Mac as well as Windows, uh, and then open source? Or should we open source with our Windows implementation, start to build a community, and then build the uh, Linux and Mac support in the open? And so, as you can guess, we chose this latter yeah. option. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that option. Yeah, I, I really feel like it was the right option. Especially given the response that we saw, I think it's just been hugely validated that it was the right option. That's essentially what we're doing. So we do not yet have the the Linux and Mac support, but we're uh, we've started already started working on it. Um, we have people who that's their main job is building Linux and Mac support into .NET Core, and uh, you're going to see that um, start to arrive pretty soon. Now it's 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 not going to all appear on one day. Uh, it's going to be very iterative. Is there one that's uh, first before the other? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think we've made a plan uh, quite like that yet. Well, what I would say is, in general, like if you look at how .NET works, I mean, there's certainly things that are inherently platform independent, right? I mean, all the collection libraries, like immutable collections, probably already works today as it is already on any uh, environment. You know, things that interact with the operating system, like file systems and other things, are obviously a bit more involved. And then as you go to the lower stack, uh, you know, we have this very, you know, thin layer that basically ties the, the actual framework to its runtime. And so, you know, on our side, we basically have two different runtime strategies today. We have uh, a JIT-based runtime and we have an ahead-of-time compiled runtime. And so uh, we also make investments to make the runtimes available cross-cloud, but that's obviously something that is more like an all-in or nothing because you need the entire runtime uh, up and running before you can actually run any managed code. So there's uh, certainly some... Um, you know, some investment there as well. But as far as the libraries go, I mean, you can probably already compile some of our libraries that are, that are in GitHub. I would say that the metadata reader probably uh, in some way or the other already works on Mono because uh, there was a uh, demo that we gelded where uh, the managed C-Shop VB compilers, we use that component, already run on Mono. Mutable collections should just work. And so uh, I think the very first thing that we probably do is on our side, uh, you know, add the build scripts so we can actually build on a non-Windows machine. And then set up a CI system that we can actually, uh, you know, validate pull requests across the different platforms. But as far as the ability goes to just take the source from up with it today, you should be already be able to do that. The one thing I want to add is that, you know, it was always true that .NET was, you know, cross-platform if you squint hard enough, right? Because the 
Mono was around for a long time now. But I think the real difference is now that we no longer have a fork community, you know, where, you know, one side does the Windows thing, which is Microsoft, and then there's this other community that does the Linux implementation. The intent of .NET Core is really to, to have one unified code base that runs on, you know, Linux, Windows, and Mac. And not just that, also on top of that, Microsoft actually says we support these three things. So it's no longer the case that, you know, there's a Microsoft distribution that is Windows, and then there is, let's say, a mono distribution that does Linux and Mac. It will actually be coming from, you know, from, from, from one corporation, so to speak, you know, as far as baking goes. But as far as the community goes, it's really just one big community where Microsoft plays one part in it, and then, you know, the mono community plays another part, and whoever else wants to join in plays their part. All right, let's take a break from the show real quick. We got to mention the sponsor. That sponsor is Rackspace. Rackspace loves open source. They love supporting their community. And just one of the ways they're doing that is by sponsoring this show right here that you're listening to. And that's why they're giving you and everyone else who wants it $50 a month in credit for 12 months to explore their open cloud. Get a free Developer Plus account today to get started. You get dev to dev support. So if you got complex questions, you can talk directly to their, to their developers. They're the same experts who write their SDKs and their APIs. You get access to all their services, monitoring, DNS, auto-scaling, orchestration, private networking, message queues, and more, all for free. There's no usage limits whatsoever, so use their services as much as you want. You're only billed for the usage above $50 a month. They have open source libraries to support any language of your choice. And for those listening today, they do support .NET. Uh, go to thechangelog.com slash Rackspace to get started. And now back to the show. Earlier on, you guys mentioned, I think, uh, was it Emo who, who made the Emerge analogy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get, get back to that here. Uh, yeah, that was all about his personal life. <laughs> and Varun was laughing his butt off, so Varun's got something up his sleeve, I think. Well, I want to get back to that for a second because uh, I love you guys' excitement. This is really cool stuff. The community was, you know, jumped on it. Everybody, Very, yeah. even Microsoft haters were like, wow, that's really awesome. Um, and you mentioned how excited you guys are for pull requests and stuff. And I would say you're very much in the honeymoon phase of open source where everything's exciting. You know, I've had that situation where I get a bug fix to my repository and I didn't have to do it myself. And that was awesome. Um, we've spoken with a lot of people over the years where they've been maintaining open source projects for a time and it started off exciting and they got, you know, a lot of press or whatever. And, uh, it was fun. And then over time it became hard work. Um, obviously you guys are doing this as part of, you know, your jobs, but running an open source project can be difficult. It can be taxing. It can have moments where, um, you know, this pull request, you know, is, is excellent, but it actually goes against our business goals. So there's all these different concerns. Were these things you guys thought about as you decided open source? Yeah, I can take this one. This is Varun. Yeah, I think uh, here the culture of the team kind of comes into play. Uh, you know, that's what I was talking about earlier. So, you know, when I look at the team, our engineering team, you know, uh, all of them are really excited about, you know, open source. They feel like uh, they're not just doing it, you know, as part of their jobs. I mean, if you look at the GitHub repo, you know, how it looks and everything, folks are truly excited. The only difference is they're getting paid for it. Uh, you know, so basically that's why I think the excitement around open source, uh, you know, will continue here. There are, you know, obviously the kind of things you mentioned about, you know, we have to think through, you know, how we are going to process, you know, pull requests in a democratic way, uh, you know, moving forward, uh, you know, how do we, you know, work on some of the contentious things, you know, 
obviously, you know, as engineers, we tend to get into our discussions and stuff like that. And how do we kind of handle them, uh, you know, with a broader audience? So all of those challenges are true. But I think the true uh, you know, thing that makes me excited about this whole thing is the culture on the team. That's, that's really unique. Uh, you know, I was telling this to, you know, Imo the other day that, you know, it doesn't feel like that I am, uh, you know, working in a team which my friends think, you know, I am you know, probably working in. You know, you know, my friends are not from Microsoft. They think they're probably wearing suits or something. <laughs> but here, I think the culture of the team is very, very different. Truly excited. And, you know, basically, uh, you know, if I use the phrase living in GitHub. <laughs> You're not wearing suits then? Uh, no, we're not wearing suits. Uh, <laughs> T-shirts, shorts, flip-flops, or what? Uh, in the summer, we'd be wearing flip-flops. Um, <laughs> it's pretty cold in Washington right now. That's true. Yeah, It's just above freezing. So, um, yeah, we're skipping the shorts. Uh, well, I've heard the rule is if it's above 30, then flip-flops are okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I thought you kept it so warm there. You wore your cold clothes on the way to work, and then when you got there, you changed into your warm clothes. Totally. <laughs> yes, I, I just like to comment on a, a question that you guys were kind of asking earlier back to the motivation piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we talked a lot about the motivation for open source, but we didn't um, really address the motivation for cross plat quite as much. And um, from a corporate customer standpoint, we actually do get a lot of customers coming to us that say, uh, you know, really love .NET, love C Sharp. It's very productive. We can build the apps we want to with it. but We've got a bunch of Linux machines um, that we've been using, and you know we're trying to consolidate our dev platform across everything we do. We want it to be .NET, um, so please build a Linux version for us. You might be surprised at how often that question comes through. Hmm. Uh, another one is that uh, that's fairly similar in nature. Is um, I think we've publicly stated that about twenty percent of the VMs in Azure are Linux now. And um, we very much want to be able to give a consistent um, offering of developer platforms that work on both Linux and Windows Server in Azure. You know, Azure will, con- will continue to have the model of, you know, it's your VM, run what you want on it. Um, so we're certainly happy to have people running Linux VMs that run Java on them or, or whatever. But... Um, from like a first-class offering standpoint, we want to make sure that people can run uh, .NET apps on Linux on Azure, and so that those to those two kind of things are really the cross-plat motivation for us on the server side. You mentioned uh, your corporate friends, so that's a good lead into the question we told you we were going to ask you about just the change that this imposes to your corporate users who. Either didn't use open source purposefully because they wanted to use something that was proprietary and had support or had somebody to blame basically if something went wrong. You know, how does this change things for those corporate users who may not embrace open source or who purposely didn't embrace open source for whatever the reasons were? First, I think there's a first answer, which is we're not really changing much about what it is we do. Um, As you can imagine, we've always had source control. And so really all we're doing is taking our source control system and hosting it on GitHub um, and changing the license to something much more liberal. So that's the open source thing. Um, But we're not changing anything about our internal processes for how we go about shipping quality commercial software. 
Um, there's nothing really about that that's changing. Uh, and that's definitely a strong message we want to send our corporate customers. The other side of it is if you're a, uh, you know, uncomfortable with open source or just don't care about it, you don't really have to think about it because you don't have to participate in the open source community if you don't want to. And what we ship at the end of the day is still commercial software. Most uh, for the foreseeable future, most of the code base is still going to have been written by Microsoft engineers. I mean, we certainly want to get to the, the case that a very high percentage of pull requests come from the community, but um, you're fundamentally still getting a product that was vetted by Microsoft and is supported by Microsoft um, support. So I think for corporate customers, you can still think of this very much as Microsoft commercial software and call it good. Awesome. Well, as you guys know, we usually close out uh, with a question about a programming hero. Now, all three of you, feel free to answer, um, but I know at least one of you have somebody in mind. So uh, who is your guys' programming hero? Yeah, so from my point of view, I already mentioned I was a customer for a long time for Microsoft. And um, the reason I really jumped on .NET when it came out was the fact that I used Delphi quite a bit before. And uh, I, was, I found that Delphi was an amazing experience. And then the guy who did pretty much Delphi went to Microsoft and did C-Sharp. And that's Anders Heisberg. So from... From that point of view, like he's he's somewhat my hero in the sense that you know it set my career and uh, influenced uh, my decision to join Microsoft. As I said, many people here, I didn't join Microsoft. I joined the team that owns .NET, and uh, that happened to be Microsoft. But if that would be any other place, that's where I would have been. Awesome. Anybody else? Uh, that, that, that's good enough for me personally. I don't know if Varun has uh, an answer. Bill Gates. Anybody? <laughs> I'll say Baltimore then. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Another question that we tend to ask, which I think probably is apropos for you guys, yeah. is a call to arms uh, for the open source community. You know, you're speaking directly to the open source developers here today. What would you say? What? How can they help you? Or what would you love uh, for the open source community to do with regard to your new you know, .NET open source stuff? Yeah, I can I can take that one. So the one thing you just mentioned is like the honeymoon phase where everything is awesome, right? Um, we will certainly like my team. Although like we certainly talked to a bunch of other teams around here that did open source and you know already way past the honeymoon phase. Like you know every team is different, every every requirement is different. So that some of the stuff that we are working on are things like you know how do we do API reviews? How do we decide something is good or not in a transparent fashion? And so it is very likely that we will do mistakes. We will do not be as transparent as we promised we would be, or we will miscommunicate certain things or we will just annoy somebody by closing their pull request. So if one of those things happen, then we absolutely do want to get people from the community and we want to have a conversation about that. And if you go to the forums uh, at .netfoundation.org, there's already a whole bunch of like people talking about how we do open source, what we do well, what we don't do well, what we could improve on, what we should uh, do differently. And and like, that's really, for me, like the, the, the primary uh, uh, feedback that I am looking for. I mean, there's always people that want to do pull requests, but it's, it's, it's from all the people that we reach, it's the minority. But, you know, the, a lot of people, you know, uh, uh, benefit from the transparency. And so that's the thing I really want to get, uh, get a handle on whether we do a good job or not. So you mentioned .NET Foundation a couple of times in the show. Uh, it, it makes sense to mention here at the end that... Um, that we do plan to have you and Beth or sorry, Varun and Beth on an upcoming show to talk about the .NET foundation and what that is. But can you talk a little bit about 
just a snapshot of what the .NET Foundation is. You mentioned earlier that uh, CoreFX is is uh, granted to, I think is the word you used, to the .NET Foundation. What does that mean? What is it? Uh, what is that foundation? Yeah, that's a great question. So basically, .NET Foundation you know, is an effort uh, which is to aggregate the .NET community kind of basically together. There are a lot of projects that are happening in process, like some of the new ones that are coming on board, like .NET Core. So the idea is to kind of have you know, common place where we can, you know, kind of advance the community, uh, you know, at the same time together. It is, uh, you know, a community-driven effort. It is being bootstrapped by Microsoft at this point, uh, but uh, it is going to be a community-driven. It's its own entity separate from Microsoft. Its advisory council will also have people from the community. So the whole idea behind .NET Foundation is that, like, .NET Core has joined the foundation, many other projects have, you know, joined the foundation and they're actively contributing, you know, working with each other in the foundation. So for all the new open source developers or the current open source developers, .NET developers or exploring open source is a great place to kind of bring your projects, work together and kind of contribute in existing projects or, you know, make your new ones with the community together. There are a lot of advantages that, you know, come from working together uh, and growing a community. So .NET Foundation is that one attempt. In the upcoming, you know, podcast that we'll do, we'll talk more about, you know, the exact specifics. But in terms of call to arms, I'll recommend, you know, request everyone to visit the .NET Foundation.org website and learn more about it. Uh, there is an email address where you can, you know, get in touch with us uh, and, you know, talk about your existing projects, some of the new ideas you're thinking about. And I want to mention, too, um, only because it's timely. We don't usually timestamp our shows that much to a degree, but uh, you've got, as Jared mentioned, you've got some change happening in several open source, large open source communities where uh, you've, you've got corporate partners and sponsors that have sort of been paving the way. And we asked a couple of questions around your choices with .NET Core and some of the future we can expect in open source. But I think it's worth mentioning just because of this tail off to .NET Foundation, the fact that at least what I see now is that your approach towards um, the foundation, a lot of good open source is built around a foundation versus a corporate entity, sort of open governance and the community is what you mentioned there. So I think from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you guys are taking the right steps to go towards Linux and Mac uh, adoption for development platforms, uh, open sourcing the, the platform itself or open sourcing, you know, .NET Core and, and the, the BCL, as you'd mentioned before. So congrats definitely on that. Can you maybe mention anything else? on that fact that, uh, you know, it's about community, that, that there's nothing um, that's sort of like Microsoft and then versus the community. It's sort of just based on this foundation. Absolutely. And maybe tease the fact that we're going to have this upcoming show with that, you know, tease the fact. Um, I completely agree with, you know, the summary uh, around that it's very important to build open source projects around a community rather than a corporate entity. And that's what foundation aims to be. Um, and I think it will go a step further. The idea is to, you know, bring together all the other, you know, basically cool .NET projects that are going on and, you know, uh, you know, aggregating them at the same place so that we can connect with each other and sort of, you know, cross-pollinate and, you know, participate in various projects. And this kind of should, uh, you know, accelerate the whole .NET community as a whole. Uh, you know, as Imo said you know, previously, we are all in into this. 
Uh, and the only way we'll be all in if, you know, all the community works together, then, you know, some, you know, guys from here. Well, I, uh, I know that Jared and I are definitely excited to have you guys on the show. We appreciate uh, you coming on the show. Beth, sorry you couldn't make it, but we'll definitely catch up with you and Varun on .NET Foundation and dive deeper. So for those listening with bated breath on that one, stay tuned. That might happen in the new year. I'm not sure if it'll happen before Christmas or not. We'll definitely, we'll definitely do our best to try. But Rich, Emo, and Varun, thank you so much for joining us today on this show. And thank you to, to everyone behind you, your team behind you, making your appearance here on this show and talking about .NET Core and what's happening there possible. I know you've got a lot of excited people that are part of your team that are, you know, lifting you up and, and, you know, doing lots of great stuff. So really appreciate all the effort that, that goes into making your appearance here today um, come true for us. And we're excited about it. So um, I do want to mention before we tail off, we got a couple sponsors that make the show possible. CodeShip, TopTile, and Rackspace. Um, some really great uh, sponsors we have on the show. So we very much appreciate their support. Um, and, and with that, unless there's anything else, let's, uh, let's all say goodbye. So goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye from Rich. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to be on the show. No problem, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, guys. This is Varun. Uh, it was exciting to talk to you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you.